We'll be reading from verse 35 to verse 41 of Mark 4. Hear the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, we looked at the question of creation and evolution and how God designed the world. And we talked then about the refrain that comes up regularly in Genesis 1. Like God sees something and he comes to the end of the day and he says, and it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good. He says this again and again and again. Light, good. Earth, good. Plants, good. Birds, good. Animals, good. People, very good. Again and again and again, the refrain comes. But sometimes we forget how that story actually starts. In the beginning, it says, God created the heavens, and the earth. Now the earth, it says, was a formless void. The Hebrew for this is terrific. The Hebrew is, the earth was tohu vabohu. (laughs) Isn't that great? Tohu vabohu. And the idea behind tohu vabohu isn't really formless void like, you know, muck. The idea is chaos, turmoil, churning, Things that are all out of sorts. Some of you live in dorm rooms right now that are tohu vabohu. For some of you, the interior of your car is tohu vabohu. It's chaos. It needs ordering. And so the account of creation is how God moves in and he makes order out of disorder. He separates light from darkness. He separates land from the sea. He spins out planets and stars and he makes things come up out of the ground. He puts order where there was disorder. And as the crown of it all, he creates human beings. And we don't know how long the human beings kind of did well at what they were supposed to do, Uh, but we do know that it did not end well. We do know that they made some bad choices, that they disobeyed, that they went to the dark places. And the result of that was that tohu vabohu was cracked open and spread into the world all over again. Now, this doesn't mean that light and dark became swirled together, that the the sea swallowed up the land. It was much more subtle and much more evil. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they ushered in a world of hurt that all of us bear to this day.
So a theologian's answer to why do bad things happen to God, to good people, is sin, brokenness, fallenness. It affects everything. It affects everyone. Tohu, vabohu. And in fact, a theologian would actually say there are no good people. So the question is false. We're all fallen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So the question may just be, why, why do things happen? And while that may be cognitively interesting, it's definitely not satisfying in here, is it? Because the question for us tonight isn't really, why do bad things happen to good people? The question for us tonight, the question that you bring into this space is actually this one. Why does this bad thing happen to me? Two weeks ago, we talked about free will and predestination, and we talked about the fact that God has everything planned out. He just doesn't know what's going to happen. He actually acts in such a way so that those things happen. And the conundrum that we fall into as people who believe in the sovereignty of God is if that is true, then he must have let this thing happen to me. There must have been some sort of agency on God's part. And through the years... Through the decades and centuries, theologians have wrestled with this, and they have said again and again, God is not the cause of sin. God is not the agent. But they have said in a troubling way that God does allow certain things to happen. And that's really the question. Why do you, God, who loves me, why did you let this thing happen? Now, there are people who like to step in right away with an answer. Maybe you've met them. They say things like, oh, God is using this to frame your character. Just, just wait a little bit. You are going to be so strong as a result of this. Oh, don't you know that God's like winnowing you? He's refining you. He's, he's getting rid of the dross and he's bringing out the gold. God's going to redeem this in some way. Just you wait. There's going to be something great that comes out of this. Several years ago, when I was a pastor here in town, I was married. And then to make a long and very painful story short, I wasn't. And I took a leave from my church. And when I came back and began again to preach and to pastor, finding my new routines and my new rhythm, I had a woman from the church come up to me after church one Sunday and she patted me on the arm and she said, I know you've been through a really hard stretch, but I want you to know that I think God's really using your preaching through this. I wanted to punch her. <laughs> I wanted to yell at her that I did not care how God was using this for her because it still really hurt for me. 
I wanted to tell her that I was still not sleeping through the night, that I was crying most days when I drove home from the church, that this was the worst thing I thought I could endure, and it didn't make it any better if her life was better because of it. So when people stand in funeral homes, and when people come to hospital beds, and when people sit with you in their dorm room and they say things like, this may be really crappy for you, but just you wait, because God's going to use it, you have every right to want to punch them. Because what we know about a testimony, what we know about a person's story, is that he or she has to come to that conclusion for themselves. You cannot tell anybody else. You cannot predict for anybody else how God is going to take their pain and work it out in their story. You don't know. So don't say those things. Will you make a vow right now? When a person is in pain and a person is struggling and a person is trying to reconcile a faith and a good and loving God with the crap that they are going through in their lives, the last thing they need is somebody to just push fast forward for them. What they actually need is someone to come and move into the space with them and sit there and say, this is crappy for you. And yes, I'm saying crappy a lot. To really acknowledge the truth. See, this is painful, and this is suffering, and this is bad, and I don't get it either. That's what we need. Someone who goes into the tohu vabohu with us. There's also something really odd about those claims, that, oh, someday you'll know why this happened to you. Job, whose story we get a lot of learning about suffering from, Job never found out why his life became tohu vabohu and then why it became reordered. Never found out. There's no guarantee that on this side of heaven, there's no guarantee that in heaven we'll actually know. There's also something odd in the question of why does God let bad things happen to good people? Because there's an assumption that if we're good enough, bad things won't happen to us. If I live a good and holy life, bad things shouldn't come my way. And so we live a good and holy life, and all of a sudden, tohu vabohu breaks in, and we think, what's going on here? I've lived a good life. Isn't that the deal? Didn't we have a deal? I thought we had a deal. Where in scripture is that deal? Who do you know who is called by God? God calls them out and says, I've got a job for you. I have a calling for you. I have something to lay on your life. And it's going to guarantee you happiness. It's going to be great. Follow me and you will be healthy forever. Follow me and I will give you wealth upon wealth. Follow me. It's fantastic. He goes to Jeremiah and he says, I've got a job for you, Jeremiah. You're going to go and you're going to tick off everybody in your country. They're going to be so happy with you, they're going to throw you a ticker tape parade. No, they're going to throw you in a cistern. 
Noah, you lived a good and righteous life. I've got a little job for you. I want you to build an ark. I want you to be the laughing stock of your neighbors. Then I want you to live on it for a year with a whole bunch of animals and watch everything you've ever known be completely destroyed. Mary, you are highly favored. I would like you, please, to be pregnant without being married. I would like you, please, to give birth far from home with relatives you don't really know. I would like you, please, to watch your son grow up and confuse you. I would like you, please, to watch your son die on a cross. Highly favored. Now there are occasionally invitations to obedience with the promise of a flourishing life. Joshua says to his people, choose life, choose this day whom you will serve. If you choose God, it's gonna be good. There's gonna be stuff in your barns and your animals are gonna multiply, it's gonna be good. If you don't, you're gonna die. Right? That's the invitation that God extends, but he extends it to his people. He says, if all y'all get together and all y'all obey, all y'all follow the covenant, if everyone's in, you're gonna have a better life together. You will benefit together if all of you are obeying together because together then you will care for the widows and the orphans. Together you will care for the aliens who are outside your gates. Together you will care for strangers. Together you will care for your mothers and your fathers, the elderly. Together you will form a great community and you will be distinct and people will be drawn to you. So the invitation to obedience is not an invitation with a guarantee. It's an invitation that all y'all are gonna have a much better life if all y'all are obeying me. But when God invites us to come into his community and into his call, he does not guarantee a happy life. He does not guarantee a life free from suffering. I'm sorry. I really wish he did. And so here we are with Tohu Babohu breaking out. The Israelites had an actual location that reminded them of Tohu Babohu. It was anything with water. See, they were desert people. They liked the land, they liked sheep, they liked wandering around, they did not like water. There are these flash floods that can come out of nowhere, you can be like in the middle of a dry area and if you're in a, a wadi, a riverbed, suddenly the water can just come out and sweep you away. They were very scared of water. So when God at different points in the story of the nation of Israel says, hey, and you're gonna have to cross this river to get to where I want you to go, they're like, ah, I don't wanna do that. After the exile, when they go and settle, they settle on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was known for its storms. It's, it's actually, we know now, it's actually a deep volcano that's been filled with water. And, and the, the Jews settled on the north end. And even though they did have some people who fished, when they fished, they stayed pretty close to the side. 
They didn't go into the middle because that was tohu vabohu. That was the abyss. That was chaos. You didn't go over there. You didn't go into the sea. And on the other side of the sea was one of the cities of the Decapolis, a city that had been given over to Roman soldiers after they retired. And so it was just ripe with paganism and horrible things. And so they liked to stay over on, on their side and, and not venture out into the, into the chaos. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. And you know there are some disciples in that boat who are going, my mom does not want me to go to the other side. <laughs> I mean, she has told me. And they get into the boats and they push out. Jesus falls fast asleep because he's been teaching and preaching for days on end. And a storm comes up and they're like, see, this is what happens when you enter into tohu vabohu. This is what happens. My mom was right. <laughs> and they're in the middle of the lake and the sea is swirling and it's churning and it's chaos and the water's coming into the boat, and they cry out, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And that's the question, isn't it? It's not just, why do you allow these things in my life? But it's when my boat is swamped, and I'm scared out of my mind. And I don't think I'm going to make it teacher. Don't you care that I'm perishing? This is an old, old question. The Israelites under the oppression of Egypt cry out, don't you care that we are perishing? The psalmist, as we read, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Don't you care that I am perishing? Job cries out in his story, do you not care? Will you not come down? Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The disciples say, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And what does Jesus do? Does he get a bucket and start to bail? Does he gather everybody around for a little prayer time? Jesus stands up and he looks out at the tohu vabohu and he says, peace, be still. Why were you afraid? Have you, have you no faith? And the disciples, whose eyes are now as big as matzo balls, <laughs> the disciples say, who is this? Who is this? Who is this who stands in front of Tohu Vabohu and commands it to be still? Who is this that speaks a word and the calm comes? Who is this who says, let there be peace, let there be quiet, and there was peace and there was quiet? Who is this who speaks and order comes out of disorder? Who is this? There's only one answer to that question. <laughs> 
It must be God. Because it is only God, as they know, being good Jewish boys, there is only God who speaks and order comes out of chaos. It is only God who speaks and tohu vabohu has to go running. It is only God who can stand and command waves and chaos and disorder to be still, and it will be still. It is only God. It's only God. So what we have a glimpse of here in Mark 4 is what God has been working for ever since Tohu Babrohu broke out again in Genesis 3. You know creation, you know fall. We have glimmers of redemption. We have the promise of restoration. And what Jesus the Redeemer does in the boat at that moment is say, this is what's going to come for you. This is what we are working for. The chaos in your life, the pain in your life, the turmoil, the churning, someday I will stand and it will be peace. Be still. This building has eight sides. You may never have noticed that before. Many Christian buildings are built with eight sides. For the seven days of creation and the one day of recreation. So when we walk into this space, when you sit here in this space, you are walking into the promise of restoration. You are walking into the promise that this is not the way things are supposed to be and it's not the way things will always be. Because we know that we worship a God who comes into chaos and says, peace be still. And so what we will be for each other is agents of restoration. So when you are going through your hardship, I will not declare for you how God will redeem us. But when you are going through your hardship, I will do your laundry for you. And I will offer to take notes in class for you. And I will sit up with you all night and hand you Kleenex after Kleenex after Kleenex. Because the other thing we know about our God, Jesus Christ, is that he is not afraid of suffering. He is not afraid of pain. Other religions say that the way to true peace is to detach. The way to true peace is to not have any suffering at all. Our God says, no, no, no. Bring your suffering right here. I will suffer for you. I will suffer with you. And during this season of Lent, we remember his suffering. We remember his walk toward the cross. We remember that we are not alone in what we suffer because Jesus Christ has suffered it too. And we know more than that, that we are walking this Lenten journey toward Easter Sunday. We are walking toward the day when we will remember once again that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we are going to live like those people. 
And when people come into our life and they do our laundry and they take the notes and they hand us the Kleenex, when people come into our life and they are witnesses to the eighth day, when they are witnesses to restoration, we will see in them God himself. We will see in the kind words of a professor. We will see in the gentle email from a friend. We will see in these things the acts of God himself moving into our space, walking with us in it. Because he is a God of restoration. Some of you know that at the very end of Return of the King, that's Samwise Gamgee comes to and he thinks he sees Gandalf standing at the foot of his bed and he thinks this can't be Gandalf because Gandalf's dead and said he says Gandalf I thought you were dead and then he says I thought I was dead and then there's this realization and he says will everything said be made untrue and the answer is yes Everything sad will be made untrue. Everything sad will be made untrue. Because John tells us in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, where the old order of things had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. There was no longer any sea. There was no longer any chaos. There was no longer any tohu vabohu. Then I saw the new city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride to meet her bridegroom. And a loud voice from heaven said, Now the dwelling of God is with his people, and he will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Everything sad will be made untrue. This is our hope. This is our God. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks that this life is not all there is that these things that weigh us down here are temporary and that what is unseen is eternal. It's amazing that these are described in scripture as light and momentary troubles compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. And so God have mercy and we'll continue to pray for healing. We will continue to pray for justice. We will continue to pray for power because we are your agents of renewal and restoration because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so help us to live that way. Help us to extend hope that is not based in platitude, but hope that is based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of your return. Help us, Lord, to find rest in you alone and in the assurance of your grace and that it is enough for now. It is more than enough. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our suffering Savior who rose from the dead.
Amen.